Um, I am Anthony Nesbrin, and I'm medical director of, of the Discovery Eye Foundation. Uh, I'm an ophthalmologist who has done research my whole life. My father was an ophthalmologist, and macular degeneration runs in my family. His mother had it. He had it. His sister had it. At my level of the family, there are three male cousins and three female cousins. All three female cousins have it, and so far, the males don't. Some, you'll hear about macular degeneration. Some of it is genetically controlled, um, and some isn't. Um, but we are really invested in trying to get more research done in macular degeneration, in, in new treatments. And I'd just like to tell you a little bit about the, about the foundation. We've been around for 40 years. We're sort of branching into Orange County now. And we support research and education and advocacy for several different diseases, but macular degeneration is one of the major areas of interest of the foundation. This is our second vision symposium. We had a very successful one in Los Angeles in October. And the, the funding for this comes from sponsors whose names you will see outside. The lead sponsor is Pfizer and Allergan and Genentech and Abbott Medical uh, uh, Medical Optics and UC Irvine Department of Ophthalmology is also a sponsor. And there are a lot of individuals who've given money in order to support this event so that we could put it on free of charge for people. Um, we are interested, if you didn't sign up with us ahead of time and you came today, we'd like to get your information. We'd like to put you on our mailing list. You'll see when you talk to Judy Delgado or she talks to you, you'll see we have a lot of interesting information for people that have macular degeneration or they have it in their family. Um, some of the housekeeping things that you should know uh, is that uh, the schedule for the event is in your folder. There'll be a 10-minute break between sessions. Yeah, this morning. Uh, each of the speakers will leave time for you to ask questions. We will be recording the sessions, so if you uh, speak loudly, that would help, and we'd ask the speakers to repeat the questions. Um, restrooms are actually out in this hallway, right across from our room. And for those of you that like uh, photography, uh, the Ansel Adams, there's some great Ansel Adams prints on the wall. Um, the exhibitors have a lot of information and demonstrations for people who have problems with vision, certainly worth seeing, and they'll be open until 3.30. If you're staying for the afternoon session, lunch is not provided here, but in the student center, and we can show you how to get there, there are places to buy lunch including Quiznos and Panda Express, etc. If you have any questions, ask our staff members. Uh, Judy Delgado is one of them. I'm one of them. Most of them are going to have blue tags on, and we can certainly help you. So um, we have, we'd like to answer your questions as best we can. Uh, I can tell you, for those of you that are interested in seeing what kind of laboratory research we carry on, our main laboratories are here at UC Irvine, and we're having a lab tour on Friday, September 10th at noon. And uh, it would be interesting because we have stem cell work and a lot of other things that you'll hear about later that uh, could well be of some value to all of us who worry about macular degeneration, including me. I'd like to introduce Judy Delgado, who is the executive director of the Macular Degeneration Partnership, which is one of the major units that the Discovery Fund supports. And she's been working in the field of ophthalmology for... About 35 years. 35 years. And she does a great job. Judy, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I always tell people when I do presentations that I'm, I'm not a doctor. I just play one on TV. And usually the audience is old enough that they remember those commercials. <laughs> uh, the Macular Degeneration Partnership is a program of discovery, and we do a variety of things. Our main mission is to see that 
Everyone knows about macular degeneration, the risk factors that cause it, and if you get it, what you can do about it, and to provide help and support and resources. So you're welcome to call our office. We have a great website, amd.org. I will be out there at our booth. You can actually sign up for our e-newsletter right at the booth. Uh, and I'll be glad to answer any of your questions. My main job today, besides that, is to introduce our speakers. Our first speaker who's going to talk about macular degeneration, the disease, and what's happening in terms of treatments is Dr. Stephanie Liu. Uh, Dr. Liu has been in Southern California for about 20 years, and I think we've trapped her here because she graduated from UCLA. Then she got her medical degree at San Diego, She did a residency at UCI, and now she's on the faculty at UCI, so hopefully we'll be able to keep her. Uh, She did her fellowship with Dr. Barry Cooperman here, who some of you may know, uh, and so she's really very well grounded in uh, retina vitreous, and uh, let's hear what she has to say. Dr. Liu? Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the symposium. Today, I'm going to go over the brief overview about macular degeneration. Um, what type of macular degeneration are there, and what are the treatment options available currently, and the um, current uh, clinical trials that's going on. So, as we know, there's macular degeneration affects the central vision. It's very different from glaucoma or cataracts because cataracts is um, treatable. Blindness. When you take out the cataract, patient can recover their vision. In a glaucoma, usually patient can um, retain very good vision until it's advanced disease, advanced stage, because they lose their peripheral vision first. So central vision is still very good. But macular degeneration affects the central vision of the eye. So what happens is patient can have, still have very good peripheral vision, but they have a central blind spot. So when they look at you, can't, they can't see your face, they can see around you. And then there are two different types of macular degeneration. One is dry, one is wet. And majority of macular degeneration belongs to the dry type. So 85% of people who have a disease of macular degeneration, um, they have the dry macular degeneration. And then it's a very slow progressive disease, the dry type, because I would say 80 to 90% of the patient will have decent vision throughout their life. They never really have to um, lose their central vision that much. They, they can have drivable vision. They can have functional vision. So what happens in the dry macular degeneration is, um, think about it. Every time the light shines into our eyes, there's chemical process, chemical reaction going on. And every time there's a chemical reaction, we will produce waste products. As we were babies... Uh, young children, our cells are very robust. They can take care of all the waste products that's being produced by our eyes. But as we get older, those cells become older too, right? They don't function as well. Then slowly they cannot get rid of all the waste products that's being produced every day, every second by the chemical reaction. Then those waste products start to accumulate underneath the retina. And then as something called drusen, if you're familiar with. It's just a proteinaceous like deposits. And then when you have those waste products accumulating underneath the retina, the retina becomes very atrophic. They don't function as well. And then they can um, have pigmentary changes underneath the retina. So when the retina becomes very thin, atrophic, they lose fi- uh, function. Then they slowly, patient would notice decreased vision, decreased central vision. However, this process is very, very slow. Therefore, majority of the patients will maintain very good vision. They will notice some distortion and a decreased central vision, but their vision usually uh, decent. It will be like a 20, 40, 20, 60 range. There are several risk factors for macular degeneration, as we know from the previous studies. Of course, it's increasing age. That's why it's called age-related macular degeneration. And patients with light iris color and skin pigmentations, especially especially Northern European groups, they have increased risk of getting macular degeneration. And um, patients with hypertension, smokers, uh, cardiovascular disease, they also have an increased chance of getting macular degeneration. 
It is not really a hereditary disease. However, certain group of people, and then especially with um, certain uh, type of uh, genetic defects, will increase pr- increase your chance of getting macular degeneration. That doesn't mean if you belong that group of uh, um, belong to that group, you will have it, but it just increases your chance of getting the disease. So, as we know from the age-related mac- um, eye disease study, it's a multi center double-blind study. It was um, uh, in 11 centers in the United States. What they find out is antioxidants and lutein can actually decrease the progression of uh, dry macular degeneration. So the study was divided into different groups. Some groups were taking antioxidants, and the other groups were taking antioxidants with uh, zinc. And then uh, there's some group who just take zinc alone, and they noticed that with antioxidants alone, they decreased the um, progression of macular degeneration by 21%. And when you take a zinc alone, it decreased the uh, macular degeneration about 25%. And then if you just uh, take zinc and antioxidants, it would decrease the macular degeneration by 25 to 30%. And another study done um, was uh, using lutein, which is contained in the uh, green leafy vegetables. And they noticed that the, if you take a s- adequate amount of lutein in your diet, the um, risk of macular de- uh, progression of advanced macular degeneration can be reduced by 25%. Omega-3 fatty acid also has the uh, ability to reduce the um, progression of advanced um, dry macular degeneration. And this is, can be found in fish. Salmon is a bad source. Usually you just need to eat salmon like three times a day, about four ounces each day. That will give you adequate um, omega-3 fatty acids. What it does is it stabilizes the photoreceptor membrane. Um, photoreceptor is the one that makes all the chemical reaction that's going on when the light shines into your eyes. So when that photoreceptor is being stabilized, macular degeneration can be stabilized too. Um, currently, for the dry macular degeneration, um, there's not much medications out there that you can take uh, to prevent the mac- uh, dry macular degeneration. The only thing we have available is diet controls, and such as like a, um, multivitamins with lots of lutings and antioxidants, such as vitamin C, vitamin uh, E, um, and uh, fish oil. And we recommend the patient to wear blue blocking on sunglasses. The reason being is the blue light, uh, the blue light is the one that really damaged the macula. So if you wear the blue blocking uh, sunglasses, will filter all the blue lights. That will decrease the progression of macula degeneration. And then we also give a patient an AMSLA grid. It's a... Uh, it's a boxes, like a straight horizontal lines and vertical lines. What patient does is you can uh, look at it one eye at a time, staring at the central dot, and it makes sure all those lines, perpendicular lines and the horizontal lines, they're perfectly straight. When you start noticing the line becomes curvy, wavy, or there's a missing part of the line, that means something is going on. Either your macular degeneration has progressed to the wet type or your dry macular degeneration is getting worse. At that time, you need to see your doctor right away. Do not wait. And also, um, in some studies, they show the moderate um, amount of red wine can be beneficial. And if smoking is harmful for the uh, macular degeneration. So we usually recommend the patient, if they're a smoker, try not to uh, smoke. And then also, if the smoke, if they still continue to smoke, we recommend them to not to take beta carotene in their uh, multivitamin um, formulation because it does increase risk of lung cancer in the smokers. So, Majority of patients have a dry macular degeneration, but 15% of the patients, unfortunately, they have wet macular degeneration. The difference between wet and dry is the wet one, think about it, wet means there's water, there's a fluid. So what happened is this abnormal vessel start to grow underneath the retina, and then they can bleed anytime they want. They're very fragile. They're, uh, they're very leaky. So fluid can leak out of the vessel, not just only blood. Fluid can leak out of the vessel. Then the patient will suddenly notice the vision, uh, decreased vision and distortion centrally. So it's uh, a lot more uh, faster progression compared to dry macular degeneration. As you can see, this is a sch- schematic diagram of the retina. So the n- 
vessels usually grow underneath the retina in the choroid. But when you have a break in this membrane, it's Brooks membrane, then those vessels can start to grow underneath the, the pigmentary layer or even above the pigmentary layer. And then those vessels, once they start bleed and leak, they can cause like a, push the retina forward and then cause a decrease of vision because it, um, it can kill off the uh, photoreceptors underneath it. So currently, there are several uh, treatment options that we have for wet macular degeneration, such as um, macrogen, lucentis, avastin, or combination therapy with um, photodynamic treatment or um, anti-VEGF um, treatment and steroids. And there's a several clinical trials going on, and the new medications has been developed. So let's talk about uh, VEGF. VEGF stands for vascular endothelial growth factor. So what it does, it promotes the, um, it's a, a key mediator of angiogenesis, which means making new vessels. And then it pro promotes the vascular permeability, makes the vessel very, very leaky. So since the patient with white macular degeneration, they have a high concentration of VEGF. So the uh, primary therapy is targeting the VEGF pathways. So um, as we know, the Avastin, Lucentis, that's being available in the market, what it does is it's an antibody that attacks the, uh, attacks the uh, vascular endothelial growth factor. And the macrogen, actually, it's not an antibody. It's an um, apt, uh, aptomer. It's actually a double-stranded DNA. It, actually, uh, it can bind to the VEGF um, uh, molecules, too, to um, make a dysfunction. And then there are several clinical trials going on. One is uh, VEGF trap and uh, anti-VEGF receptor antibodies. So macrogen came to the market uh, in December 2006, uh, 2005. That is the first FDA-approved intravitreal injection of the medication to treat uh, wet macular degeneration. Prior to that, there's no treatment for that except laser. But however, think about laser. What you do is you actually kill off the retina. So after laser, usually patients don't see very well. What we do is kill off the small amount of the retina. Hopefully, the disease will stop. It won't progress. So it will give you a smaller blind spot in the center. However, you would have a blind spot if we treat you with a laser. So the macrogen is different. It's a medication we inject into the eye. So it doesn't cause any scarring. What it does is bind to the um, vascular... Uh, uh, VEGF, and it decreases um, uh, concentration of VEGF, so some of the abnormal vessels can go away. They die off, and then the bleeding will, uh, a body will take care of the bleeding, reabsorb the blood, and then hopefully the disease will be controlled and will not progress. Um, as you can see from this diagram, the macrogen does decrease the vision loss by 45%. However, it does not improve vision. It can only slow down the progression of the disease. At the same time, there's another therapy was available to the patient. It's a photodynamic uh, therapy. What it does is um, visual dye is the uh, medication. We inject the visual dye into the patient's vein. This medication actually will accumulate into the abnormal vessels. And then we shine a special laser into patient's eyes at the target where the lesion is. At that time, the light will activate the medication. The medication will cause blood clots in the abnormal vessels and then to kill off those abnormal vessels. However, this treatment also causes some collateral damage. It can cause a little bit like a decreased uh, function of the macular region. So it can only uh, preserve vision but not really improve vision. As you can see from this diagram, it does uh, decrease the ch um, progression of vision loss compared to no treatment at all. And then in 2006, a new medication came to uh, the market. It's the uh, first FDA-approved anti-VEGF uh, monoclonal antibody. It's called Lucentis. I'm pretty sure everybody's pretty familiar with Lucentis. Lucentis is produced by the genetic company. So what it does is a human ant uh, monologue uh, antibody. So it, uh, it doesn't cause any immune response when we inject this medication into the vitreous cavity. What it does is bind to the uh, uh, VEGF factor a lot more stronger compared to macrogen. 
That's why you work a lot better um, compared to macrogen. It's actually a half of the monoclonal antibody. So the size is very small. It's easy to penetrate any lesions. And then there are two major clinical trials uh, was uh, performed for the um, Lucentis. The first one is Marina trials. Uh, it uses to compare the patient uh, with medication and without the medication. As you can see, the patient's getting injections during the clinical trial every four weeks. They divide into two groups. One group of patients are getting the real medication every four weeks. The other group is patient is getting um, just saline, but the patient doesn't know that. And as you can see, the top line is the patient who's getting the um, uh, Lucentis. The bottom line is the patient who's getting a placebo, which is sham injection. They're not getting any medication. As time goes on, you can see the patient with Lucentis actually gain vision. This is very amazing because in the past, we can only uh, re reduce the vision loss, but nobody has gained vision from any treatment in the past. But with this medication, patient actually gain vision after the treatment. And it's very stable even after 24 months, uh, 24 months, which is two year um, period. And then if the patient doesn't have um, uh, injection of the Lucentis, you can see patient gradually lose vision. And there's another study was done also with Lucentis. They compared Lucentis with um, photodynamic dynamic, uh, treatment. As you can see, um, patient with treatment with Lucentis every four weeks for a 12 month period, he has gained vision of 11 letters on the chart. However, patient who's treated with photodynamic dynamic, uh, therapy has lost vision. So this is a very, very effective treatment for wet macular degeneration. It doesn't cure the wet macular degeneration, but it stabilizes the disease and then actually improves the vision a little. And then um, this is just another um, bar graph. As you can see, um, there's a two different concentrations of medication was used during the uh, study. One is 0 0.3 milligrams of Lucentis was injected into the patient's eye at each uh, injection. The other one is 0 0.5 milligrams. The efficacy is about the same, not that big of difference. 35% uh, of the patient has, uh, has improved vision, and then 40% 40 40 of the patient improved, uh, improved vision with higher dose. However, since the difference is not that great, not, not that different, so most of the patient actually is getting, right now, getting 0.5, the lower dose, because the, the side effect will be a lot less. Um, over the clinical trials, not that much side effects that was uh, found. There's uh, only uh, less than 0.1% of the patient who had um, anophthalmitis, which is the infection inside the eye. So it's a very low risk of medication. And then a small amount of patient actually found to have stroke, but not in the eye treatment. Think about, um, in the past, Lucentis is a half molecule of Avastin. Avastin is used to treat uh, colon rectal cancer. And those uh, patients who had systemic doses of Avastin. They use it thousands more times as we inject into the eye. And it, those patients are a lot more sicker. And then in those patients, only small amount of patients actually had a stroke-like symptoms. We can't really say it's due to the medication. Maybe the patient already had underlying disease to, uh, to have them predisposed to stroke. So, but even though we always advise the patient, if you're getting the Lucentis or Avastin injection, if you have any stroke-like symptoms, you need to seek a, see a doctor right away. Oh, does most of the doctor have the availability of the Lucentis? Uh, no, I would say because it's very expensive to carry this medication. The medication costs $2,000 each vial. And then in order to stock the medication, you really have to have a, a lot of money uh, put aside. Because what if you don't use it? You're wasting $2,000 because there's expiration day. So a lot of the um, doctors in the community, not a lot, I would say more than 50% of the rental specialists in the community actually do not have Lucentis because they just don't have the ability to carry them. Do they know the cause of the uh, causes of the macular degeneration? Um, we know why patients get wet macular degeneration because there's a break underneath the retina. There's a layer called the corridor um, 
vessels and there's a Brooks membrane. So the choroidal vessels supposed to be in the choroid. They're only supposed to grow inside the choroid. Once there's a break above, uh, between the choroid and the uh, retina, those vessels can start to grow underneath the retina. Anytime there's a vessel growing in the place that's not supposed to be, they're very fragile. They can bleed anytime. That was the cause of a wet macular degeneration. And for the dry macular degeneration, is accumulation of the waste products. Think uh, in the past, we don't have that many patients with dry macular degeneration. The reason being is people don't live that long to have them. Now people live longer and longer. Of course, we'll have more uh, patients with dry macular degeneration. Yes, there is a known, uh, there are several types of non-age-related uh, macular degeneration. Oh, is there any types of non-age-related macular degeneration? There are actually several types. There's one in England. There's a, a group of family. It's called Sorsby's um, uh, macular degeneration. It behaved very similar to age-related age macular degeneration. However, those patients are young patients. They, it runs in their family, so it's a genetic defect. And then there's some other patients also have... Um, um, macular degeneration, but it's not due to uh, age-related, such as if they had laser treatment for whatever reason in the past. So they cause the injury in the layer underneath the retina. Then those abnormal vessels, anytime there's a break underneath the retina, those abnormal vessels can grow, and then they can cause a degeneration. They behave exactly the same way as age-related macular degeneration. However, the good thing is, once they get an injection of one or two times of Lucentis or Avastin, those diseases go away. They, uh, they, they're not as um, persistent as age-related macular degeneration. They are much easier to treat. Um, yes, there are several clinical trials actually is going on. Uh, later on, I'm going to talk about it. There's like, um, we're in phase three uh, trials actually right now. Okay, so Lucentis costs $2,000 each vial. Does the insurance cover it? And is there any generic um, on the horizon? So first question, $2,000 um, is... Um, out of pocket, but your insurance usually depends on your insurance carrier. If you have Medicare with supplemental insurance, it's actually free to you. You don't pay a single penny. The, they will take care of everything. If you have only Medicare alone, you pay 20% of the copay, which turned out to be like a 400 or $450 each month. And usually, um, if you don't have Medicare, just Blue Cross, PPO, or Cigna PPO, usually you pay 20% of a copay. You really have to ask the uh, insurance company to find out. Oh, uh, also the, the generic, yes. Um, uh, let me finish this question first, sorry. Um, the generic. So, Avastin actually is not really the generic. They're very similar medication I'm going to talk about later. And it only costs patients about $50. They work pretty well. Okay? So, from our experience, they almost work 80% of patients respond almost the same to Lucentis and uh, Avastin. Only a small percentage of people respond better with um, Lucentis. However, there's a 5% of patients respond better with Avastin. That's a much cheaper medication. And then I will go over the clinical trials later on to what's going on right now. Um, okay, go ahead. Okay, if there's any other disease, like um, similar to um, macular degeneration, and then... Another eye disease, like glaucoma. Okay, well, glaucoma. Um, okay, glaucoma is a different disease because usually patients don't uh, notice they have glaucoma, and it kills off your peripheral vision first. So uh, you don't notice until it's really advanced when it comes to your central vision. So eye screening exam is very very important. If you have family history of glaucoma, and especially African Americans, they they have high prevalence of uh, glaucoma. So if you have family history, if you're African-American, and you need to get your screening exam earlier. Otherwise, everybody needs to have a screening exam like at least like once in their early like 20 or 30, just to make sure. Because you don't know you have glaucoma until it's a really advanced stage. And there are two different types of glaucoma, open angle, closed angle. Closed angle glaucoma gave you like pain. All of a sudden, like pressure builds up then you know you have a glaucoma issues. And then you see a doctor, they do treatments, and it probably can, depends like the severity of the disease. Sometimes it was laser, and they open up, everything's fine, or they need to give you um, eye drops for the rest of your life. And the open angle glaucoma is the one that's a silent killer. 
because you don't know it's a really advanced. So everybody should have an eye screening exam just for glaucoma. It's very important. Okay, have you done any uh, research how many percent of people go from dry to wet? So um, as I said, 85% of patients with uh, dry macular degeneration, only 15% with wet. And out of the 85% of patients, only 15% of them has an advanced stage of a dry macular degeneration. We can break into four different categories. When you are category number three or four, which means you have advanced dry macular degeneration, those are the one is likely to go in towards the wet uh, type. If you have a mild type category one or two, unlikely, very, very unlikely you will have um, wet macular degeneration later on. Okay, so um, um, with the uh, the ARIS study, actually uh, they divided it um, uh, Oh, okay. Also, uh, anything, uh, you know, any chemicals in the food that will help the macular degeneration? Or should you avoid from the yogurt? Okay. Mm -hmm. Artificial, like, um, okay. Anything that you need to uh, avoid in the foods and or anything that can help, like that was in the uh, food. So, um, as I said, any, like, antioxidants is really, really good. So um, some patients have very, very early stage of dry macular degeneration um, from the our clinical trials. They don't really benefit from those um, antioxidants and things like that. Those patients really, really benefit from that is the advanced stage of dry macular degeneration in the category three or category four. However, it's always good to take more antioxidants because think about it, that will slow down the cell death. Oh, alcohol, a small amount of red wine is, uh, uh, seems to be beneficial. <laughs> Heartache has never shown any benef uh, benefits for macular degeneration. But it didn't say it's harmful for macular degeneration either, so I guess moderate amount of uh, consumption of alcohol should be okay. Uh, so um, some patients with macular degeneration, they're getting numerous shots, 20 or 30 shots. Is that depends on the disease? Yes. Because in the clinical trial, what they did is they give a patient shot every four weeks, regardless of any changes. Even though the macular degeneration seems to be stabilized on our examination, there's no bleeding, there's no fluid leaking out of the vessel, they're still getting shot. However, uh, in... In clinical practice, I would say, everybody uh, treated the patients differently. Most uh, doctors will give the shot to uh, the patient, and then at least three shots in a row, and then everything stabilized. Then they only treat the patient as needed. If the patient still have evidence of disease, such as fluid underneath the retina, or there's a bleeding, then patient will get a shot. If this disease resolved, then we will just monitor the patient closely. Every four to six weeks, repeat the exam. If there's any evidence of recurrence, then we will treat it aggressively. Because we know the longer the blood is underneath the retina, the harmful it is. Because the photoreceptor can become atrophic. Once the photoreceptor is gone, the vision is gone. Because they don't regenerate. Oh, this is just another diagram to see the uh, uh, visual improvements after Lucentis injection. Uh, compare three, uh, 0 0.3 milligrams to 0 0.5 milligrams. And as you can see, uh, at the 12 months, 31% of patients will have significant improve, improved vision with the 0 0.3 milligrams of uh, Lucentis. And then 38.6% of patients has improved vision uh, with a Lucentis injection. With patients who has no, uh, with a PDT, only 2.8% of patients actually uh, has improved vision. Okay, now let's talk about Avastin. This is the alternative for Lucentis. So Avastin actually is developed by the same company as Lucentis, by Genetech. Avastin was available a lot longer compared to uh, Lucentis. However, they never did a clinical trial to see the efficacy of Avastin in, pa uh, in patients with a, uh, macular degeneration. It was first developed for patients who has colorectal cancers. So what it does is kill off the abnormal vessels because it's an antibody to the VEGF. Because any time a patient has tumors, think about it. Tumor wants to grow. They want to have lots of blood vessels so they can grow faster and bigger. So they will have a higher concentration of the uh, vascular endothelial growth factor to promote the vessel growth. So this Avastin is the antibody to the growth factor. So that's why they, it was used for colorectal cancer. However, some smart ophthalmologists just tried it in the patients. Say, hey, for macular degeneration, 
the VEGF is a problem. Can we use the Avastin to treat it? So they actually use it as off-label for macular degeneration. So remember, this is an off-label use. It was never FDA approved. How, uh, in the clinical practice, it works great. It, it was being used in the patients even before Lucensis came out. The difference between the two molecules is Avastin is a whole molecule. Think about um, an antibody is a Y-shaped kind of molecule. Avastin is just a Y-shaped molecule. And the Lucentis, if you cut in the middle, that's Lucentis. So Lucentis is half the size of Avastin, but essentially very similar medication. So this is just a, um, a patient who had um, wet macular degeneration. As you can see from the color from this photograph, you can see there's some exudate, some little bleeding. If you can see serial, serial vision, if you have serial uh, ability, then you can see some uh, fluid leaking out of the vessel over here. This is a fluorescing angiogram. So usually we inject a dye into the arm and then take a picture. Uh, the, the dye is supposed to stay in the vessel if the vessel is normal, okay? And when the, uh, there's an abnormal vessel, they're very leaky. So the dye will leak out of the vessel, becomes fluffy. This is a leakage. It's caused by a macular degeneration, okay? So this is in 2005. This is a patient who came in with a vision of two, uh, 2050 had a, um, a shot of macrogen. However, from the optical coherence uh, tomography, you can see there's a fluid underneath the um, RPE layer, there's a fluid underneath the retina, and there's a fluid within the retina. So the patient has a pretty um, severe disease. And then after the macrogen uh, injection, nothing really, really happened. And then the patient came back in June, First in 2005, the vision at that time the vision went down to 2060. As you can see, there's more fluid within the retina, and then also under the uh, RPE layer, and there's uh, also uh, still has fluid under the uh, retina over here, and then within the retina. So that patient had a vaccine injection for the first time. The patient came back only after one week. You see the dramatic decrease of the fluid within the retina. See all the cystic space within the retina. It's all gone. Okay, this is the same cut for the uh, for the same uh, patient. You don't see the uh, cystic spaces anymore, and the fluid underneath the retina has decreased also, and also the flu over here. And the patient's vision has improved to 2040. Two lines of improvement just one week. And then this is one month. Patient came back, complete resolution of the fluid. This is like a normal foveal contour. Looks normal. Look like a normal retina. And the patient's vision has improved to 2030 after only one shot, one month. And then patient came back like two weeks, uh, two weeks later. As you can see, still looking pretty good, but you can see there's something start to happening again. Looks like there's a little small cystic changes. So maybe that's because the medication is leaving the, uh, leaving the body. Cause think about it. There's a half life of medication. Once the medication is gone, disease can come back. So the patient come back two months. The flu underneath the retina came back, and all within the retina also. Patient got a uh, avastin shot again for the second time. Two weeks later, complete resolution of the fluid, and uh, one month later, after the second shot, still maintaining very good vision 2030. So as we can see, avastin can improve vision in patient. It can resolve all the fluid that was accumulating underneath the retina. That's because it kills off all those abnormal vessels. When the abnormal vessel goes away, they don't leak anymore. Whatever is left in our body, our body took care of it. They got rid of those fluid. Okay, so there is a clinical trial going on to compare Avastin and Lucentis. Because it, Lucentis is a very expensive medication. Not everybody can afford it. Because think about it, even with 20% copay, that's $400 a shot. With patient, usually patients are elderly, retired, they're getting um, Medicare, I mean like a social security. You're not going to pay $400 a shot every month plus the doctor's fee visits and everything. That's too ex expensive for a lot of patients. So that's why the clinical trial is going on because Avastin is much cheaper. And then so far, Avastin work almost as good as Lucentis. Only for a small subset of patients, Lucentis work better.
So um, this is a um, National Eye Institute sponsored trial. Total of 1,200 patients enrolled in the trial. And uh, it's, the enrollment is already done. It's all finished. And then one-year follow-up data is uh, almost available. They divide the patient into four different groups. One is getting, um, this is a generic, generic name for um, Avacin. So one is getting Avacin every four weeks, regardless if you have improved vision or resolve of the, uh, resolution of the disease. And the other one is getting um, Lucentis every four weeks. And the uh, other patient is getting just Avacin as needed. So they will get three shots of Avacin. After the disease stabilizes, the vision's good, there's no more fluid leaking out of the vessel, then the doctor just observe. They only inject if there's any evidence of recurrence of the disease. And uh, the other arm is the Lucentis, only inject as needed. Okay, so what else that is on the horizon for white macular degeneration? There's another medication called the VEGF trap. It's actually in phase three clinical trials. Actually, UCI were the one of the participants of this clinical trial. And so far, from the other patients I see, they work really, really well. Some of the patients, they actually uh, got better results with the VEGF trap. So hopefully, this will become, the, uh, become commercially available uh, anytime soon. So what it does is a fusion protein of the domain from the VEGF receptor with the human IgG. And it has a higher affinity to bind to the receptor of the VEGF. So it works better. It works longer. So maybe it will decrease the frequency of the injection, if that's the case, because the half-life is longer compared to Lucentis and Avastin. So as you can see, um, it, this is, uh, tells you like uh, the endothelial proliferation after the injection. And it, uh, it re with the uh, VEGF trap, it goes down slowly but pretty steady, and then it lasts longer than Avastin alone. Avastin does bind to the receptor right away and then decrease the proliferation, proliferation of endothelium. However, it works only about six weeks or so. Usually, a patient needs at least like um, every six weeks injection. So hopefully, with a VEGF trap, patient can have like a less amount of um, injections. And this other things is actually in the clinical trials. Right now, it's only in phase two. So what it, what it is, is the RN interference. So think about it. We have DNA in our body. So what DNA can transcribe into the RNA, messenger RNA, and then they can produce protein. And those abnormal proteins can become grow vessels, can cause diseases. What it does is it's a small interference RNA. This RNA could bind to the messenger RNA and stop the messenger RNA to uh, transcribe into proteins. So VEGF can be stopped producing inside the eye. Actually, we do have this molecule. It's, it's occurring naturally in our eye. So the researchers actually try to produce more of it and then try to inject it into the patient's eye to see if that will stop the uh, production of the VEGF inside our eye. And uh, the potential advantages of the small interference RNA is it's very specific. It determines by the sequence of the antisense strand of the uh, RNA, and then it designs to target only the certain genes. So it's very specific. It won't kill off all those normal things that you need for your eyes. And it's very potent. So far, this is only in, um, in the phase one trial. It shows it's pretty safe to use this medication. As you can see, there's three different uh, dosages has been tried. One is a 100 mi uh, microgram, 200 microgram, and versus 400 microgram. Looks like the, with 400 microgram, the efficacy is almost the same as the uh, 400 mi microgram. And the percentage of patient uh, with uh, uh, improved vision is like with uh, about four weeks, it's 86% of patients uh, notice the improved, uh, improved or stabilized of the vision. And the 79% of patients uh, know this uh, stabilization of the vision in uh, 12 weeks. This is a very small study because in the phase one, they usually just try to see if the medication is safe or not. And then in phase two, then they try to see if the medic medication is uh, if efficient to treat a disease or not. So currently, this is in phase two trial. So we know it's a safe medication to inject into the eye. doesn't cause much problem. But now what we want to know, does it really help the patient? 
So in phase two trial, usually we enroll about like a hundred something patients. And then uh, for this uh, medication, the follow-up period is a week 9, 12, 15, 18, 30, 52, and then 104 weeks. And the data hasn't been available. It's not available yet. There's another factor that is uh, normally produced by our eye. It's called a pigment um, epithelial derivative factor. It occurs naturally inside our eye, and then it also has an anti-angiogenic uh, uh, factor. It can decrease inflammation, decrease amount of uh, VEGF production, and then decrease uh, vessel permeability. So therefore, the researchers are trying to see if they can produce more of this factor and then make into the medication that injecting into the eye to stabilize the disease. And then this is only phase one trial, which means right now they're testing the um, safety of this medication. Okay. Um, I didn't really talk about the... Um, treatment for the dry, like advanced dry mycology degeneration. Let's go uh, back to that because I didn't talk about that earlier. So um, when you become, when the dry mycology degeneration become very advanced, which means they have what we call geographic atrophy. That means there's a patches of the uh, macular regions are atrophic. They are not functioning. So if, um, if you are the unfortunate patient, you have this patch right underneath the fovea, which is the center of the macula then you will lose vision. You probably won't only have confinger vision, which means you can't even see the big E on the chart. You can see the, if I put the fingers right in front of you, you can tell me, oh, how many fingers there it is. So there is a clinical trial going on for dry, uh, dry macular degeneration with patients with uh, geographic atrophy. It's a um, randomized double mask sham control study. It's a medication, um, and then we inject, it's an implant, actually, you inject an implant uh, in the office into the uh, patient's vitreous cavity, and then it has a polymer slowly release the medication inside. Okay, so usually you don't need to, uh, the injection as frequent as uh, a vascular lucentis every four to six weeks. This implant lasts about six months, and then uh, this is a, a bromonidine implant is produced by uh, manufactured by Allegan, which is a local company in Irvine. So what it does, bromonidine actually is an anti-glaucoma medication. It's, uh, the trade name is Alphagen. If any patient with glaucoma, they probably know about Alphagen. And besides, it can reduce the pressure inside the eye. And then through the clinical trial, they, feel, they find out it has a neural protection factor. So it actually can stabilize the um, photoreceptor membrane and decrease the inflammation. So the, uh, the clinical trial was used on patient with geographic atrophy. And right now, actually, it's in a phase, I think it's in phase three now, because um, UCI is one of the participants for this clinical trial. So we actually have a several, um, at least 20 patients actually had this implant, implanted into their eyes. Oh, and then this, this implant is an office procedure. It's not the procedure that needs to be done in the operating room. It's very similar to injection. You inject uh, the implant into the eye, just like uh, use a bigger needle. So it, it does, yes, a bigger needle, but it doesn't leak. <laughs> we will give you more anesthesia medication, but usually patient feels like there's some pressure, not pain, a lot of pressure, because the needle is bigger, and then we have to use a different maneuver to inject into the eye. Um, Patients that they feel more pressure, but not pain. Okay, this another uh, method to treat um, macular degeneration is a radiation therapy. It, uh, right now, is a phase two trial. So, um, as we know, ionized radiation has strong inhibitory effects on. It has an anti-angiogenic factor, it can anti-inflammatory factor, and an anti-fibrotic factor. It works very well with injections such as Lucentis and Avastin because it works synergistically. It can help um, decrease, further decrease inflammation, further decrease the uh, amount of um, VEGF is being produced. So, uh, it, it's being tried in uh, colorectal cancer patients also in the past. So patients are getting radiation with a Vastin injection, and it works really well in those patients. That's why um, the, um, the researcher developed some uh, radiation therapy for the macular degeneration. This actually requires surgery. So what it does is you need to have a vitrectomy. 
So it's not an office procedure. You have to go actually go to the operating room. So they would do a vitrectomy, take out the most of the vitreous in the center. Not everything, just take out the vitreous in the center. Uh, and then they will put a radiation probe close to the, uh, the region of the lesion, of the problem area. And then they put it there for about like a three to five minutes. As you can see, it really depends on how far the probe is to, uh, to the tissue. It's really far away from the uh, lens, so it doesn't really cause much cataract because the lens only receives 0 0.6 uh, um, millijirates. So it doesn't really cause cataract. And uh, it uh, delivers more radiation to the target tissue. Depends on where you put the probe. And it, is a, it only delivers a little bit of radiation to the optic nerve, so decreases the chance of uh, uh, radiation optic neuropathy also. And this is just uh, uh, the diagram to see the mean visual change after the uh, radiation treatment. As you can see, actually, patient has improved vision after this treatment. They have like um, improved like nine letters in 12 months. Okay, this is just a, a picture um, diagram for the patient who actually received this uh, therapy. As you can see, this is before the treatment. And on the fluorescing angiogram, there's a lot of uh, fluid leaking out of the vessel, as you can see. And on the um, optical coherence tomography, you see the cystic changes, the fluid accumulating uh, within the retina and underneath the retina over here. As you can see over here, after the one treatment, the fluid went away. Everything resolved back to normal, and the patient has improved vision. Okay, th this is the, um, the next step is just to go into uh, phase two. Right now, I think they are currently is in phase two trial for this, med uh, for this radiation uh, treatment. So uh, what it does is uh, actually use, um, in, during the clinical trial, they use Lucentis as a control. And then so far, 495 patients uh, enrolled. And then 330 patients are getting the radiation treatment versus 165 patients getting the Lucentis treatment. They tried to see, is the radiation treatment better than the Lucentis treatment? And so far, there are 30 sites available worldwide, and then 20 of them in the United States. So, so far, all the medication, all the treatments, uh, injections, or surgeries. What about topical drops? Because every time you do injection or surgery, there's increased risk. There's risk of bleeding. There's risk of infection. Even though the risk is very uh, low, but it's devastating if you get an infection. And um, there's also risk of renal tear, renal detachment that needs to be fixed with surgery. So how about topical drops? So actually several companies are trying to develop a topical medication that can be used to treat either dry or wet macular degeneration. However, it's very hard to develop a topical medication. That's because there are several pathways for the medication to go all the way back to the retina. You either go through the cornea, the clear part of the eye, or go through the sclera, the white part of the eye. So on the cornea, we have enzyme, can break down the uh, medication. So you have to pass the cornea first. That's pretty uh, challenging to develop that medication. So, and then um, from the conjunctiva, we also have enzymes that can break, uh, break down the medication. So um, right now, there are five different companies actually developing topical medication. They try to uh, put an um, anti-asthmatic anti um, enzymatic effect on the medication so they won't be break down by the uh, cornea, the enzyme in our cornea, or enzyme in our sclera, or, or conjunctiva. So some of the medication they're developing is for um, dry macular degeneration, such as um, Othera. Uh, Actually, it's, uh, I think the enrollment's already over because we do have a patient who's receiving this uh, uh, eye drops. It's, treating, uh, it's used to treat dry macular degeneration for patients with a severe uh, advanced dry macular degeneration, such as uh, geographic atrophy. And then this medication is going to become available pretty soon. 
uh, we st we're going to start enrolling patients pretty soon at UCI also. We just finished our training course, so um, the, the medication should be available for the clinical trial within the next few months. So in conclusion, so far, Lucentis is the first uh, anti-wet uh, macular degeneration treatment that's approved by the FDA, which has improved vision after the uh, treatment. And then Evastin has a very, very similar effect. However, we don't have the head-to-head -head clinical trial to see which one is better. The results should be out within a year or two, so we will know by that time. And there are many, many different products is in the development. So hopefully there will be better medication that lasts longer so patient doesn't have to have frequent injection. Or hopefully there's a topical medication so patient doesn't even have, have, have to have injection at all. So... Despite, uh, no, despite the impressive success of Lucentis, we know Lucentis only stabilizes disease. It doesn't cure the disease. A lot of time when you stop using Lucentis, after a few months, the disease can come back. So it would be nice if we can come up with some other medication that can actually cure the disease instead of just slow down the progression of stabilized disease. Okay, that's it. Oh, the changes, uh, okay. The results are presented in the improved, vision, uh, improved uh, reading ability in the uh, patients. Is um, We use the ETDRS uh, chart, which is, um, is a standard chart we use for clinical trials. What it does, every time you improve the three lines of vision, which means you improve, double the visual angle. So uh, it's a standard... Uh, measurements to see how much vision you have improved. So the numbers that uh, was listed over there is how many letters, how many more letters they can read after the treatment. Yes, lines, because uh, each line has five letters. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a standard chart. Each line has five letters. Or where do we get our participants in clinical trials? Usually we get from our patients. We, we will screen our patient to see if they fit the criteria for the clinical trials. Then we will ask the patient for their participation because, of course, it's voluntary. So you will tell them, okay, this, this clinical trial is available for you. If you're interested, we can enroll you in the clinical trial. That's a great question. And repeat it. Yeah, one time um, – there was a saying, like, if you have advanced uh, macular degeneration, you should not remove your cataract. So what's the consensus currently? So if you have dry macular degeneration, and actually the cataract is to protect your, uh, uh, your uh, macula, because what cataract is, is if it's a, it's a yellow, yellow cataract, right? It, everything looks very yellow. It filters out the blue light. Actually, it's beneficial for your macular degeneration. However, you know, there's also some lenses that can, has a yellow tint and the, uh, block the blue light. So you, maybe you can consider that. However, if you have wet macular degeneration, if you have active disease going on, we recommend not to have the cataract done because it, any kind of intraocular surgery can promote inflammation. Inflammation can get disease worse. Um, the, oh, is there any uh, problem with scar tissue as a result of the injection? Actually, the injection doesn't really cause any scar tissue. Scar tissue is caused by the disease itself. If you have the, um, if you, the disease was not treated, it will form scar tissue. But the injection itself, it won't cause scar tissue. If the, uh, sometimes if you have your bleeding underneath the retina, even though, you know, you had the injection, but the bleeding, uh, if it's a large amount of bleed and it doesn't go away, it can cause scar tissue. So it's not caused by the injection itself, actually caused by the disease. Correct. That's the bromonidine implant. Okay. Uh, there's one medication is an implant inside the eye. Uh, it can be free-floating. Does it interfere with patient's vision? Actually, from our experience, it's like once you inject inside the eye, it actually sits in the vitreous space, which is there. And then unless your vitreous is completely liquefied, it can, it can flow around, but usually it will settle down doesn't really bother the patient. So far, nobody has complained about the big floaters coming back and forth. They had some problem initially. There's, a, uh, there's one patient had it was flowing all over the place, but eventually it settled down. Well, it's, uh, it's a polymer. It's, slow, it's like a depot. So it slowly releases uh, the medication. And then uh, once it got inserted into the vitreous cavity, you'll percolate. 
towards the retina. Um, if the patient has a very small amount of drusens, and after the cataract surgery, do you ask the patient to wear regular sunglasses or blue blockers? Okay, well, blue blockers, as we know, is always better for the patient with macular degeneration because you block the blue uh, light, which is harmful for the macula. So it's always better to wear blue blockers for anybody. Um, okay, types, types of exercise that you uh, recommend or types of exercise you should avoid. Actually, um, there's nothing t was done for that, like a clinical trial to say like excess will, exercise will help uh, with uh, macular degeneration. However, as we know, hypertension is bad for the macular degeneration and uh, uh, cardiovascular disease is bad for the de macular degeneration. So exercise sometimes helps with the hypertension. So if you have hypertension, then exercise is always good. Now, if you have a choroidal break, right in the macula, and then you, you know you, there's a breaking. Anytime there's a portal break, the vessel in the cord can start to grow underneath the retina. Then it's not really macular degeneration. It's a cordial neovascular membrane that behaves similar to um, macular degeneration, but the treatment is similar. No, renal tear off to the side would not cause this. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Liu. That was terrific. Well, I hope you've learned a lot about the disease, and I know she's told you a bit about clinical trials and research, and our next uh, session is going to talk more about that.